Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Media. Hey everyone, Robert Evans here with Behind the Bastards, and we, we, we've got some kind of sad news today. Um, you know, this is going to hit members of the community pretty hard, uh, but 48 years ago, on November 10th, 1975, the SS Edmund Fitzgerald went down in Lake Superior, killing all 29 crew members on board. This is a hard time of the year for for everybody here at Behind the Bastards, for all of you at home. And the only thing that makes it easier is the knowledge that both the Russian Federation and the Chinese government have recently substantially increased the sizes of their nuclear stockpile, while the United States is in the process of renovating its own nuclear weapons. And my, my hope, I think all of our hope, is that the leaders of our world can kind of band together in this time of conflict and sadness to finally expend the entirety of their nuclear stockpiles, detonating them over Lake Superior. Um, you know, that's my hope. I know it's all of your hope back at home. And I, I, I really think what can carry us through this is some classic Mao era propaganda posters showing Joe Biden, Xi Jinping, and Vladimir Putin walking hand in hand, surrounded by a crowd of little kids in red guard uniforms, heading towards the light of a new atomic sun, while a series of mushroom clouds detonate over Lake Superior's depths. Anyway, that's, welcome to the show, Jamie. That's so, I mean, first of all, thank you. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I needed to hear it. I think we all, uh, the image you described, and I hate that my mind went here, conjured the image of Paul Walker in the convertible next to Brian Griffin. That's right. That's right. That That's was right. sort of what I was picturing. The same, <laughs> that it, the image you described has that that exact same. Image. Just add. Yeah. Just yeah. throw someone in the back seat. Same exact shit. Yes. 
That's the dream, God. Jamie. That's the dream. God, what a beautiful, beautiful dream. I really think about being a member of Paul Walker's family at the time <laughs> that image was circulating. <laughs> Where you you're mean, just like, you mean from your jacuzzi filled with hundred dollar bills? Yes. Even so, my loved one. Yeah. My dearly departed ah, see, being thrown in a convertible next to a cartoon dog who, to add insult to injury, would be resurrected within months. Yes. And, and like Brian the dog, not to, okay, Brian the dog was resurrected, I think, on the same timeline as Jesus Christ. Yeah, like, more it or was less. like, yeah, it Very was, similar it, characters. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and we can all agree that Both Brian have been is on Bill Maher's show. <laughs> They're both Marheads and they uh -huh. also uh and, and they both are uh you know like middling authors, yeah. you could say. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair to say. So Jamie, yeah. speaking of mediocre men. <laughs> how do you feel? <laughs> Have you been keeping up with the story of Bastard's Pot alumni Sam Bankman Freed? Okay, so I have, I, I know the broad strokes, but as soon as the joyous news became, com mm -hmm. uh, started coming in, I, I knew that we were going to be doing this, and I don't know any of the particulars, except for tweets of yours that have been algorithm to the top mm -hmm. of my feed. I'm just, I, I, there's no one I would rather be with to let it just wash oh. over me. Oh, Robert, yeah. can I, with my can, Robert, can I ask you to please share your working title for this episode? Cause it's funny. Oh, yeah. It's Sam Bankman, not freed in, and in parentheses <laughs> because he is in jail. I think it's funny. And I think, I think that that is far superior to Sam Bankman jailed. Yeah. And yeah. I, no, that's not creative at all. You got to spend a lot of extra words to make it creative. I'm not interested in other perspectives on mm -hmm. that title. I think that you got mm -hmm. it exactly right. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Brevity is some bullshit, as a, a great author once said. So, <laughs> Jamie, speaking of great authors... 80% of this episode is shitting on Michael Lewis, the author of The Big Short. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow. No, we're really, this is going to be a great one for the Lewis heads in the audience. Wow. I, okay, mm -hmm. okay. Mm -hmm. This is going to oh, be. Oh, buckle wow. up. Yeah. Now, buckle this is relevant. Up. Lewis. The man huh? just said, buckle up. Oh, yeah. Strap the fuck in buckle and up, down. Fuckle heads. We are they... we are starting with Michael Lewis, author of The Big Short, Jamie. We're, okay. Mm -hmm. I feel like when I, I recently saw a picture of my three-year-old niece going to a Wiggles concert, and I just caught myself smiling in the same way. This is great. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, no, this is great. So on January 5th, 2022, Sam Bankman-Fried sent a message to one of his many signal loops for what it's worth, February 8th through 16th, Michael Lewis is going to be in the Bahamas profiling us. Now, okay. if you if you haven't been following the story, and if Michael Lewis is not familiar to you, then you probably do remember like the most famous result of one of his novels, which is the movie The Big Short. Uh, this was based on a book Lewis wrote about a group of traders who had the foresight to predict and profit off of the 2008 financial crash. They realized mm -hmm. that like the subprime loan business was like a bunch of hooey and they shorted it, right? M made a bunch of money while everybody else lost their jobs. You love to see it. You love to see it. Um, his other best known work is probably Moneyball, which is a, about a baseball team manager who uses what's called saber metrics, which without getting into it is basically being Nate Silver, um, but also actually running a sports team, right? 
Okay, um, that yeah. is also that uh, in 2020, I started doing this bit on yeah. cursed Zoom comedy shows called the Boyfriend <laughs> Criterion Collection, uh-huh. and it's just like Blu-rays <laughs> that are in your house against your living will. Yeah, yeah. Moneyball Money, Money is very stand. much a part of the Boyfriend <laughs> yeah. Criterion Collection. It's right up there with Whiplash. It's yeah. like a disaster. I must say, if you if you did not date the worst man you've ever dated in your entire life in 2017 that was obsessed with all things michael lewis then were you really in los angeles yeah no Damn. that that's that's true the only <laughs> non-problematic the is, by the what way what if your what if your worst boyfriend couldn't read really uh there <laughs> you when you're the you're the median american and look, i honestly obviously- don't even know who i'm talking about like it's <laughs> impossible to say But I know the only (laughs) non-problematic piece of physical media that you can have on in your house as a boyfriend is an original VHS tape of Tremors. That's just the way it works. I I, I, and and I would fight with you if I didn't if I didn't feel the same way. I think that that is very much as a good sign. Uh huh. It's an excellent. Thank you. Thank you. The more prominently displayed, the better. To say that Michael Lewis is a famous writer or famous journalist puts it pretty lightly. He's probably the best known journalist in the country and almost certainly the wealthiest. There's not a lot of competition for that, but like he's definitely in the running. Um, He's what you'd call an access journalist. He is somebody whose stories come from his ability to get close to his subjects and just kind of exist with them during a crucial period of time as a fly on the wall. There's a number of ways to do this. There are a couple of like big Trump administration books written by journalists who basically just got to sit around Trump and his White House while things went insane. Um, Mm -hmm. The route that Lewis takes is to befriend the people that he's writing about, right? He is this guy, and people who know him will say, he just kind of makes people comfortable around him. He is a guy that you want to have at a party. He's He's pleasant company. Enough people have said this that I assume it's true based on just like how he does his stories. People, he's good at putting folks at ease and they don't mind him being around and that's how he gets a lot of his stories. Um, Now, as a general rule, if you are in the position that Sam Bankman-Fried and his friends were in circa 2022, running a massive financial shell game, you would be hesitant to and, welcome and very in- well, I think we can all agree, based yeah. on all the information yeah. we had. Like kings. Talk about a game of 4D chess. Yeah. The last guy you might want hanging around your office is a dude who could literally, like Michael Lewis could literally in like the space of a phone call get articles greenlit in every newspaper in the country, right? He just is, he has that kind of pull. He is that reliable a seller for his stories. Like nobody would not want to take a story that he had. So you would want to be cautious. You would think you'd want to be cautious about letting this guy into your house. Um, But there's a reason why they said yes when he reached out to SBF. And it's that Michael Lewis's reputation among people in the finance industry was not, oh, he wrote this book that's critical of us. Oh, he's this guy who exposes the dirt of the finance industry. It's this is a guy who can make you into a celebrity. And in early 2022, that was the entire vision of everyone like connected business wise to Sam Bankman Freed was we need to turn this guy into a celebrity who's constantly everywhere to raise the profile of this exchange, right? They spent 
something like a billion dollars on a variety of different corporate and celebrity endorsements. Of the nine billion that was missing, about a billion went towards shit to boost FTX and to boost Sam's profile. Right? The I'm idea sorry. Was, where's the? You gotta spend money to make money, as the <laughs> yeah, aphorism goes. I guess so. You gotta spend yeah. ten billion to yeah. make nothing to and go the, to jail. You have to famously spend ten billion dollars to go to jail. Is what I'm saying. To go to to go to forever <laughs> prison, Jamie. Let's be honest about this. He's going to. I. I for every time I've seen Forever Prison, very often from you, I hear it in mm-hmm. the cadence of uh, the Forever Purge trailer. You're like, oh, it's yeah. the Forever Prison. <laughs> yeah, that is where he's going. And that's, yeah. you know, it, again, everyone has kind of cut ties. Everyone legitimate has cut ties with not just Sam, but like crypto in general in the wake of Sam's collapse. But sure. there was about a year and a half period where like every bank was looking into it. Every tech company was putting shit on the blockchain. The last kind of holdout and the reason why Sam put so much money into this was politicians, right? There were a few who would, but like most people who were in politics would not even take donations directly from crypto, right? You had to launder that shit. And Sam was looking to buy himself a sizable chunk of Congress so that he could make sure that regulations on crypto favored his company specifically, which is why he did stuff like, you know, he spent tens of millions of dollars getting Tom Brady and Giselle Bundchen to like pretend to be his friends. He sat down next to Bill Clinton on fucking stage in a very cringy interview. He paid Larry David to make a Super Bowl ad. Um, But all of that, the potential all of that had to legitimize him, paled in comparison to having the big short dude treat you like a financial genius, right? If Michael Lewis treats you like Michael Burry, who's one of the characters from the big short who became a big name after Lewis wrote this book, if he's like, this guy is that kind of financial genius, then everybody's going to start taking your calls, even people who like have been hiding from crypto because they don't they're worried that what happened would happen, right? That you'd get 10 right. million in donations and have to pay them back because it turned out that it was a con man. You there, know, there's there's a note of it that it, it almost reminds me it when like Errol Morris like profiled yes. and worked for uh, Elizabeth Holmes. You're just yes. like, it's that level of profile versus L. Yes, this turns you into somebody who's like, um, who can be taken seriously because that's what who Lewis is, right? He's that he yeah. is that big a deal. I'm not like puffing him up. He doesn't need it, right? No, he's, he, he got people to care like, about Moneyball, the most yeah, in, like, the most boring ass thing I've ever heard well, about in my life. Well, and that's the thing. He is one of these guys. He's he's the he's he's maybe the main character of this episode. I wouldn't call him quite a bastard, but one of the things you have to give him is he is legitimately a very good writer. There's no other way you For get sure. people to give a shit about Moneyball. He's like I read his whole Sam Bankman Freed book. I think it's bullshit, but I didn't I didn't get bored at any point. He knows how to pace a piece of writing, you know? Mm-hmm. So he decides to come knocking. Sam is immediately on board. All of their PR people are on board. Not everyone at FTX is on board. Carolyn Edison, who is his on-again, off-again girlfriend who testified against him repeatedly, she is running Alameda, which is the company that bankrupts everything that he is illegally funneling consumer deposits into. She mm-hmm. is basically like the – and she does not like the idea of having Michael Lewis around. Um, now, she can't really confront Sam Bankman-Fried when she has a bad idea. Nobody can. So she just kind of hedges it and says in the signal chat, makes sense. I feel like my instincts are more towards under the radar, but I might just be irrationally biased towards that in general. Uh, and then like a, a an emoji of a face sticking its tongue out. And Sam That's replies, right. same, except exactly the opposite. <laughs> that- Great. 
like you know you're down bad if you're asking Sam Bankman Fried to make sense. Yeah. That's challenging. Oh God. That's such I I mean, I don't know. I know we've talked about her in the past, but that yeah. like what a what a mess. What a nightmare. She's in a rough situation and he we'll talk a lot about how he treats her in this. But Will McCaskill yeah. is also in that signal chat. And Will is basically the founder. He's not like literally the founder, but he is the founder of what is most commonly talked about as the effective altruism movement and definitely its figurehead, right? He mm-hmm. is the big guy. He's this Oxford professor who he pills Sam Bankman freed on the idea. And his response is kind of, I think, part of why this winds up going down. Uh, He says, I think either approach is reasonable, should just be a deliberate coordinated plan. But if a whole bunch of attention is going to be on FTX, Sam and EA, whatever happens, then getting ahead of the game and controlling the narrative is necessary. Yup, responded Sam. And they did it. (laughs) Michael Lewis spends like a year with this guy. Like he spends a lot of time around them. Uh, Everyone's very excited because what happened last year is Sam's world collapses and he gets charged with like seven felonies. And then right afterwards, Michael Lewis is like, by the way, I've been basically living with him for a year. And everyone's like, oh shit, this could be pretty good. Because like this guy can write, he's been front seat, he's written about a financial collapse before, he's got front seat tickets to this whole thing, and then the book comes out. Um, and unfortunately for for Lewis, the book comes out, he, he times the release right for when the court case starts, so we get all of this, right alongside his book, we get all of these signal texts and stuff that were not in his book. And kind of the overwhelming thing that you see when you compare what comes out in the court case, what comes out in the testimony of his friends to the text of Lewis's book is that like, oh, Michael got kind of fucking conned by this dude, right? Oh, um, that, Yeah, <laughs> like he L. fell for it, yeah. And I mean, it, it speaks to the level of confidence one would have to have in their own reporting to time it with yep. the trial because if you had even a remote feeling yeah. that you have got, you had gotten it wrong I would be like release it a year well, after the trial like bury and, it and bury that's the it. thing I can see if you're if you're just some journalist and this is your, your first book or you just don't have you're not like a huge hit so like you are very your your publisher has a lot of power and they're like we want this to drop when the case does because that's when it'll sell best mm-hmm. I get that you might not have the suction necessary to move it Michael Lewis can say we are putting this out this day and like suck my dick. I'm Michael Lewis. It'll make you money, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he doesn't, which which suggests he has the same kind of hubris that Sam Bankman Fried did in a lot of ways. <laughs> so to give you an example of how emotionally involved Lewis is in this case, there's a good write up on the court case by a journalist who was there during the trial, which was not filmed, writing for Jacobin. And this is this is how they describe the devastating cross-examination of Bankman Freed, who, again, chose to take the stand in his own defense, despite every expert saying, absolutely never do this. Quote, <laughs> across the aisle for me in the section reserved for friends and family, I can see Sam's parents growing increasingly agitated, his mom no visibly shaking. Two rows behind them, I couldn't help but notice author Michael Lewis leaning forward, arms draped over the bench in front of him, with his head down between his arms. Nobody expects Michael Lewis in the courtroom. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I do actually have, I don't think they're very good people, but I have sympathy for Sam's parents. This is like a nightmare. 
if like to know that your kid is going to forever prison for even if it's totally their fault. Um, I mean, Michael it, yeah, Lewis I mean, just like, got conned. <laughs> my my empathy only goes so far, but also like mm-hmm. what a scene, what a fucking scene. Absolutely <laughs> phenomenal. Yeah, yeah terrific. <laughs> yeah. Can't wait for Jonah Hill to star as Sam Bankman Fried in the movie based on this. <laughs> no, I really don't. No, no, there's no one I want to see play him in a movie. Um, Just do him like Maris and Frasier. Have him always be (laughs) off screen. (laughs) That would be, oh, that makes me so, Uh, I I love a good, yeah, like the parents and Charlie Mm -hmm. Brown, Mm -hmm. Heather Sinclair of Degrassi, I could go on. And fuck it, you know what? Cast David Hyde Pierce as Michael Lewis. Then we got a movie. Then we got a fucking film. (laughs) Then we got, I, I mean, if, if this whole ordeal results in David Hyde Pierce winning an Oscar sure. for an, a bad Absolutely. movie. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's 100%. my dream. There's That's no way this dream. movie is good. There's no, no way it's good. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, and, and it's possible that Adam McKay, in an effort to yeah. course yeah, correct on having Adam endorsed. McKay on. Sure. You know, Adam he McKay, he's this. like... He absolutely could, and he's and he would need to course correct on the Michael Lewis in the first place for yeah. having directed the Big Short. It's a great move for everyone. Ah, we can make I'm some... everyone's agent in yeah. this situation. <laughs> You're gonna be rich, Jamie. I'm so, gonna be fucking rich. Yeah. In in interviews he gave after the book came out and the trial started, Lewis framed his book Going Infinite about Sam Beckman Fried as a letter to the jury, which is like kind of nonsense because obviously the jury is never allowed to read a book about the guy that they're going on a trial about. And the judge specifically instructed them not to. There's an interview with 60 Minutes, which is really something. We will hear some clips from it later. But in that interview, Lewis explained, I mean, there's going to be this trial and the lawyers are going to tell two stories. And so there's a story war going on in the courtroom. And I think neither neither one of those stories is as good as the one I have. And like, I, 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 on one hand, yes, of course you're right because you're a better writer than any lawyer is going to be. But on the other hand, this isn't a story. It's just a question of what happened, Michael Lewis. And Good what happened is massive Lord. fraud. And you don't put that in your book. <laughs> That's so, I mean, here, I, mean, I, I guess I can be of many minds about characterizing it as a story war because that is like just how history is written. And it's sure. kind of almost refreshing to hear someone refer it to as like, well, whoever yeah. could write the better story mm-hmm. uh, that's will will end up having the historical precedent. But um, but interesting that it would be said out loud in that way. Yeah. And again, I want to reiterate, while Michael is the main character here, he's not like he's not a bastard. He's not someone whose like impact on the world has been monstrous. As far as I've ever heard, he's a reasonably nice person. We'll definitely get him being mean at a couple of points here, but it's nothing that I would like call someone that like one of history's greatest monster over. But this is Bankman Freed is a bastard. And so I, I think talking about the way in which he kind of has Lewis wrapped around his finger and the degree to which Lewis tortures his own logic and prose in order to ignore that is just fascinating. So with that in mind, uh, let's start with a little bit more of Michael's backstory because that is important to understand why he falls for this. Michael Monroe Lewis was born on October 15th, 1960 in New Orleans. Now, from the beginning, his life was about as far from working class as you get. And to his credit, Lewis does not deny this whenever he's asked. Uh, That's the only thing you can do, I guess. Yeah, you've got to be open about it. Here's him talking to The Guardian. 
Lewis's family sat at the very top of the wasp aristocracy in New Orleans. I was so inside, he told me. I was literally trained how to sit on a throne when I was 15 years old because I was crowned the king of the carnival ball, an organization that didn't allow black people, didn't allow Jews. I would go from baseball practice to scepter waving lessons. I was born into that world. Being an insider in New Orleans made him feel like an outsider everywhere else and not always to his disadvantage. And first off, Wow. <laughs> That's okay. quite a quite a backstory. Um Thank you, King. <laughs> I do you, King. I do think I want to point out something here, which is where I, I don't think he's obfuscating, but I think he's missing something about his own what his background has done for him. Because I, I don't I'm not gonna question him when he says it made him feel like an outsider, but mm-hmm. I think it's very clear that this this is a guy whose work is defined by his ability to make himself into an insider. And I think that's a big part of why he's able to do that is he grows up in the middle of wealth and power, right? Where right. it's the air that he breathes. And you don't notice this if like you grow up working class and don't know any super rich people. But when you meet some people who were born crazy rich, you note that like a lot of them have this this way of making of making themselves feel like they belong anywhere, right? It's why they can get a, yeah. away with so much. Like, even if they're totally out of their depth, there's this kind of expectation you get when you grow up hyper rich that the world is going to show you a degree of deference. When you know people who have family fortunes behind them, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, it's the reason they are never going to get, like, carded to see if they're a member of a place that's members only, right? Because they they have that way about them. And I think that's right. part of like how Lewis- It is like an imperceptible thing. Well, yeah. and, and, and I do think that there is, I mean, and it sounds like what you're getting at is like, it, there is, if, if you can get someone who grew up in those circumstances on the side of fucking decency, there yeah. is a huge value to having someone yes. like that yeah, who yeah, knows yeah. how to navigate those spaces on your side. But if they're, but, but also, you know, to an extent and a, a liability because yeah. you never know, you know, so I, I'm curious what, in what endears him to our yeah. Sam. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. So he, okay. he goes to Princeton University and he graduates cum laude, which which Slay. means pretty pretty good grades in uh, 1982. His senior thesis is on Donatello, a prominent Ninja Turtle. Uh, and when he's in college, he's a member of Princeton's Ivy Club, which is the oldest eating club in the school. Now, if you're not a blue blood, you, you probably are like, what the fuck <laughs> is an eating club? These are private dining halls that are also kind of social no. clubs where upperclassmen go to get nicer food. There's like nine of them, I think, on campus. Robert. And Wait, the Ivy at, Club where? is the oldest. At Princeton huh? or like yeah, everywhere? Princeton. At Princeton. There's other oh, colleges, like, did, other uh, fancy boy schools have these. I think, right? Robert, this is yeah. full cunt. <laughs> the other yeah. club. Yeah. I was like, wow, Eating Club, the like Eating Club to me is like mm-hmm. drive through Taco Bell, 1 30 a.m. Yeah. starving. Yeah. Wow. Eating yeah. Club. It, what are they eating? What are they Sophie, eating? Sophie, you Tell said me. this is full cunt, but mm-hmm. they, it did not admit women until 1991. The audacity to not let a woman uh-huh. go full Into cunt? India. Something that cunty, it, it just doesn't make sense. And it, it's also very funny that like, or not funny, but it's noteworthy in this interview, it talks about how he was at the Ivy Club, right? When he talks about, you know, his upbringing, he's like, yeah, this like this contest I was in, you couldn't 
You couldn't be in this club if you were like black or or Jewish. He doesn't mention that the Ivy Club doesn't admit women. I think that is maybe interesting. Mm. Um, it's also mm. worth noting that the Ivy Club, F. Scott Fitzgerald writes about the Ivy Club and calls it yeah. F. Scott Fitzgerald, calls it detached and breathlessly aristocratic. And Full if F. Scott Fitzgerald cunt. says that about your blue blood yeah. club, like, my God. <laughs> I love that. Wow, yeah. what a treat. Mm-hmm. What a treat. If yeah, so, if, if if F. Scott Fitzgerald is the one experiencing like moral clarity about yeah, your about, about your weird party. sandwich yeah. group, that's that's challenging. Now, while Lewis had a passion for art history, he had a bigger passion in life, and it's stacking motherfucking paper. So. He goes to the London School of Economics next and eventually joins the Bond desk at Salomon Brothers. He's in like the London branch of the Salomon Brothers. Uh, no, Wendy. no, no, no. He's just making dollar dollar bills, y'all. Robert, um, dollar dollar bills time is happening now for us as well. Oh, yeah. Speaking of dollar dollar bills, oh. buy some of these products and we will ding, get ding, dollar ding, dollar ding. bills. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini-games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. My favorite spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. Wow, how have I been living like this? It's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless, when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. Wow, how have I been affording this? It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. Say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills, and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash behind. That's mintmobile.com slash behind. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash behind. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. I have a, I have a request for the listeners, which is not something that I uh, often, I don't, I don't ask, I don't ask mm-hmm. anything of our listeners, just that 
office that they're happy. But if somebody yeah. could please make a dating profile for Michael Lewis as an art graphic, I just, it just, please for me. Oh man, okay, that's that's good. You've got you've got two different requests this week, listeners. One is that propaganda poster, and I the other like is that. Michael Lewis dating profile. So. <laughs> Lewis, uh, Lewis is, you know, an investment banker for just a few years. Actually, you know who he reminds me of? Oh, okay. Do you, just do you know dipping what... your toes in it, then that kind of doesn't yeah. count. It's like the just the tip yeah. of financial crime. He, he's in there. He le- At 87, the market crashes, and he makes a pivot away from, like, doing that as a job. And he writes a book called Liar's Poker about the investment, you know, bang the stockbroker, that, like, that kind of life that mm-hmm. uh, makes a shitload of money, right? This is – we'll talk about it in a second, but, like – I want to. He reminds me in this trajectory. Do you know anything about Michael Crichton? Uh, oh, I mean, I, I, yeah, peaks and valleys. I, I had no attachment to him, but I know many yeah, who well, do. And like, yeah, the back half of Michael Crichton, pretty fucking brutal. Yeah, pretty, pretty brutal. I'm not talking about like his actual career as a writer as much as Crichton goes to Harvard Medical School and becomes a doctor. Most people are, I don't think, actually know this. Um, but like he was an actual MD, but he doesn't really do the job. Like he gets his MD and then he quits to write books, like some of which have a medical, like he's the creator of ER and he gets criticized some by doctors for, who are like, oh, you he's just the creator of ER. Yeah. Michael Crichton created ER. Yes. Oh, OK. Sorry. I thought yeah. you were talking about Michael Lewis. Yes. I, no, do, no, no, no. I, I knew Michael. But Crichton. they have yeah, a yeah, similar yeah. they have a similar kind of trajectory where they they go to school for this thing. They do like a teeny amount of it, just dip their toes in. And then they get famous writing these books that are inspired by it. Right. I just find right. that interesting. So. To give you a further idea of Lewis's family background, Liar's Poker, which is semi-autobiographical, revolves around a scene where Michael Lewis is invited to a banquet hosted by the Queen Mother while he's working in London. Uh, He gets a seat there because of his cousin, Baroness Linda von Stauffenberg, uh, and she seats him next to the manager of Salomon Brothers, which is how he gets his job. Word salad. Word fucking salad. Crabs don't have bluer blood than this man. Like that is that is the bluest you fucking get. (laughs) If your cousin's a baroness and you're in your like late twenties, what? If you know a baroness, you are like (laughs) that's okay. Yeah, yeah. So Lewis's depiction of Wall Street guys from Liar's Poker on, because uh, mm-hmm. he writes a few books about Wall Street types because he knows them, right? Yeah. Um, right? It's generally noted as not being flattering, but I think that's by people who like have a very naive view of what's unflattering because his Wall Street guys, they curse a lot. They use phrases like big swinging dick. They're like, they're like kind of gross, oh. but in a way that's glamorous, right? Like, I mean, I feel like it's yeah. like the Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. Talking shit. Yeah. 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 It, it, like, it is a kind of thing where you could say he's not glamorizing it, but he's absolutely making it look a way that makes more young men, greedy young men want to become stock traders. And to extend the Michael Crichton comparison, it is Liar's Poker is generally agreed to have had a similar impact on its industry to how Jurassic Park influenced paleontology by like bringing a shitload of people in. Wow. That's really yeah. interesting to me because I, I, I like I don't know. I have not read Liar's Poker, to be honest. I have not read uh, any of his books. I have seen some of the adaptations uh, in movies of his books. But um, 
But yeah, in, in terms of like anytime someone writes something about Wall Street, like you have to be so fucking careful. And yeah. also, even if you are extremely fucking careful, it will still bring in the wrong people yeah. who refuse to see the point. Like they're like Wolf of Wall Street is one of my favorite movies hands down I think oh, it's, it's great a, it's an it's amazing a satire film. yeah but it's still like brought people in on the wrong yes. like fuck it because brain dead people are going to be brain dead people this is we're going in a more serious direction but if you've read slaughterhouse five in the opening of it vonnegut <laughs> talks about how when he said i'm going to write my my war book his wife mm-hmm. was like don't do it there's no way to do it without making it look cool like no one has yeah. ever managed to not do it in a way that makes young men think it's cool. And she was right. Like for the record, <laughs> like, yeah. that's I mean, one of the problems with even anti-war war fiction is it always makes it look cool because mm-hmm. it's it's cool. Right. That doesn't mean it's good. It's like Joe Camel is cool. He still killed 100 million people. <sighs> Joe Camel gave my father lung cancer. Yeah, and I yeah. stand by that. And <laughs> to conjure a similar image, mm-hmm. uh, Joe Camel, there's an image that I saw when I worked in the Playboy archives of Joe Camel, an illustrated gorgeous like painting mm-hmm. essentially of Joe Camel in a uh, convertible with smoking hot human women. Hell yeah. With big old titties. And you're like, no wonder. This yeah, of advertisement of killed people. This <laughs> yeah. advertisement killed people. Being like, this- you could be this ugly ass camel with women, women with huge naturals. Yeah. Like, it just like uh, you can add up all the German generals on the Eastern Front and they didn't kill as many people as that ad. <laughs> like, my, truly. Like, and it's a beautiful piece of artwork, but like, let's be fucking honest. Yeah. <laughs> so today, Lewis merely acknowledges that the psychos he wrote about in Liars per- Poker were more fun on the page than they were in person. This can be if this is your first book and you write it in 1982 and you realize later, oh, this actually might have made the problem worse. That's that's not a thing you have any moral culpability for. That's just like writing a thing with good intentions and it turns out badly. Um, But this does become a problem. And one that we can critique is partly a moral problem when it becomes part of a pattern. And it is a pattern with Michael Lewis. The Big Short is obviously not a Wall Street puff piece, but it became beloved by exactly the same people you might assume it was trying to criticize. In that Guardian article I've quoted from, there's a story about Michael Lewis attends this big New York party and he's like warned ahead of time that it's going to be full of bankers and other finance guys. And he's like, oh, I don't know if they're going to like me because he had just not only was the big short out, but he just published an article uh, at a major publication attacking Wall Street bigwigs as being greedy idiots, like saying it in very unsparing terms. And one of Lewis's friends later said, quote, but all these former heads of investment banks, all these current bankers, they ran, not walked to the office just to meet him. One hedge fund manager walked in with 15 copies of Lewis's books. Michael signed them all. And again, if you are so, a journalist, that's a bad sign. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. What is your take on that? I mean, like, what is the game of chess that I'm not seeing here? I mean, I think it's just that he makes he makes this look sexy. And it's if he writes about you, part of a big part of this is that while he's maybe negative about greed within the overall finance industry, he cannot write about a person without making them look cool. Because he has to like them to write about them, right? All these guys in the big short, you could say, 
profited off of a lot of misery. Now, they didn't cause it, they didn't start this subprime loan thing, but they profited off of a lot of misery. And that's at least kind of grimy. But Lewis likes these guys and he turns them into okay. celebrities because of how good he is at writing about them and making you see what's likable in them. Right. And right. so at this point, he ha- because of how often this has happened, he is he's he is aware that his books are PR for their subjects. He has a habit now of connecting people he writes about in his books to his PR manager so that they can set up speaking tours for them, right? Because he knows Mm -hmm. if I put you in a book, that's going to be a big business for you. You're going to be in demand. Yeah, and and this is part as a result of him. He doesn't he can't really be critical about the individuals, right? And this Mm -hmm. this is another quote from that Guardian article. The obverse of Lewis's approach is that he doesn't write about people he can't befriend or about stories that might cost him relationships. Among the few projects he has abandoned is a biography of George Soros, who was so unhappy with Lewis's portrayal of him as a financier rather than an intellectual in a magazine profile that he refused to cooperate. Another is a book about New Orleans, which would have demanded a level of honesty about the city's society and about his family's place in it that might have hurt his parents. He said, I adore my parents. I couldn't write that part while they're alive. And, you know, again, none of this is like unforgivable, but if you're admitting that as a journalist, what aren't you able to admit? And I think in this case, it's that right. he is not able to look at Sam Bankman Freed honestly because he 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 found himself taken in by the kid's shtick. Well, that's what I feel like is is one of the complicating factors of and and I don't say this in a way to seem like it's like an unsolvable puzzle, but it's like Michael Lewis writes, it seems like you know, largely accurate, you know, pieces of, uh, of journalism. We'll talk that about are, that. Well, okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so far, right? As someone who's never read his work, but they're also inherently commercial because I feel yes. like there is a journalistic value to explaining why someone is appealing, but there's also an even more commercial value to explaining why someone is appealing because that makes it, uh, you know, that sells books, that sells movie deals, that sells all all this shit. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's also part of why his stuff is successful in a commercial sense is that yeah. is is this other fact that like it's always kind of uplifting, right? Again, the big short, the the whole collapse of the financial industry is dark, but stuff goes well for these characters that you've come to like, right? Mm-hmm. And Lewis himself has kind of admitted he he can't really end on a not upbeat note. He has a lot of trouble with it. Um, He said, quote, once you identify yourself as happy, you're always looking for happiness. And when things come along to grade on that happiness, you find ways to deflect them. You can force the narrative. And I think what he doesn't say there, but what is explains his Sam Bankman Freed book is that once you get in the habit of writing about like these geniuses who are hidden in the middle of systems, right, and, and mm-hmm. see more than everybody else, once you start doing that, you see anybody you start focusing on as that kind of genius, even when they're not. And that's what's happened with Michael here. So... <clears throat> Yeah. Mess. Uh, Mess. Yeah. And it's like, you know, ultimately, we nine times out of 10, the person wearing like fucking x-ray glasses is wearing a pair of fucking IMAX glasses to go see yeah. Oppenheimer. Like, exactly. it's just embarrassing. Exactly. It's just embarrassing. And yeah. Yeah. So I think the best example of this before we get into Sam Bankman-Fried 
prior in Lewis's history is a book called The Blind Side, which was published in 2006. Now, The Blind Side, like a lot of Lewis stories, there's a macro and a micro narrative. The macro narrative is he's talking about the growth, the explosive growth and the importance of the left tackle in football. This is an offensive lineman whose job is basically to make sure the quarterback doesn't get maimed. The micro story, which contains the, the emotional heart of the book and is the core of the narrative, is the tale of a guy named Michael Oher, who was, um, he was placed in foster care at age seven because his mother suffered from addiction. His dad was generally in prison. His dad dies while he's, I think, in high school. Or was was dealt a pretty tough hand in life, but he's also six foot six and very fast, right? So he is he is someone who like shows an aptitude for football. Um, as a result of this, he's kind of coaxed through getting into a private school and he gets he gets literally adopted by this rich white family or as a black man, um, black child at this time. Um, and they make it their business to coach him and coax him in through getting through the academics so that he can be in the NCAA and college so that he can get an NFL contract. Right. So I'll um, be per- I'll be perfectly honest. I before. Mm-hmm. We started before you told me that Michael Lewis was a main character. Mm-hmm. I did not know that he wrote The Blind Side. Oh, yes, he did. Because this comes becomes a movie that's huge, right? Also, I, well, also I, well, and I am very well acquainted with the the ensuing uh, yes. nasty fucking cultural narrative associated with the movie. But I didn't realize that it, it was a book. I knew Liars, yeah. Poker, Moneyball, and The Big Short. Holy oh, fuck. Yeah, also, Robert, Robert, I just want to yeah. fact check real quick. He wasn't adopted by them. Not... Uh, we're getting to that. Okay. That was the narr- that was the narrative yeah. in the blind side, right? Right, right. That, th- okay. that they have basically adopted this guy. Yes, you, you are correct, okay. Sophie, but I'm I'm building to that. Okay. So um Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's so, so, I just like I I don't I don't know why I didn't yeah. know that. And also yeah. I'm like, who didn't want me to know that Michael Lewis yeah, wrote I mean, The Blind Side, a book that is famously Bullshit. Yeah. So yeah. this family adopts or and and they, they effectively adopt him is I think generally how it's framed. And they help him get through high school, get into a college and kind of like help usher him into this NFL career where he makes a significant amount of money, obviously. And I'm going to quote from the L.A. Times here. The administration at his high school accepts him, although he can barely read. He secures a full-time tutor. When his grade point average still proves too low for the NCAA, his adoptive father, a canny former college basketball standout named Sean Tui, manages to find a crucial loophole. He has over-tested to prove that he's learning disabled, then has him take numerous easy online courses. Lewis treats these measures as ingenious. We are meant to cheer the fact that Orr has gamed the educational process." And this is a te- this is from the book. Leanne, who's the 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 wife of Sean, was now making it her personal responsibility to introduce him to the most basic facts of life, the sort of thing any normal person would have learned by osmosis. Uh. Every day I try to make sure he knows something he doesn't know, she said. If you ask him, where should I shop for a girl to impress her? He'll tell you Tiffany's. If I go, I'll go through the whole golf game. He can tell you what six under is and what's a birdie and what's par. I love that those are her two this examples is, of is, basic this knowledge. Is, this is Sandra Bullock's Oscar. Talking. Uh, uh-huh. This is yeah. this is Sandra Bullock's Oscar flapping yeah. its nasty little mouth. Yeah. Okay. Two Got things it. every boy needs to know: where to buy jewelry and how to golf works. <laughs> really says Yay. a lot about her socioeconomic status, right? <laughs> Not like here's how you pay your taxes. Not like mm-hmm. you know, li- literally anything else. Like here's how you cook eggs. But no, <laughs> fucking. Fucking golf and Tiffany's. Well, yeah, and so, also like, I mean, to state the obvious, like conflating that with like, this is what normal people. This is do. normal. Like, you basic could write a fucking advice. doctoral thesis like, in the ways that that is okay, like great. bullshit. <laughs> yeah. So 
we can all see the potential abusive issue with a wealthy white family adopting a teenage black boy to coach him into launching a pro football career, right? Just if you think about all of the head injuries and shit involved, there's a lot that's problematic here. Yeah. Lewis does quote Leanne at one point as saying, with me and Sean, I can see him thinking if they found me lying in a gutter and I was going to be flipping burgers at McDonald's, would they really have had an interest at me? But the book is ultimately positive and uplifting. We're left thinking how nice it is that these people help this kid out. The LA Times note that Lewis seems to be like amused at these rich people cheating the system to usher this kid into a dangerous job without like educating him. So the nice parts of the story ended earlier this year when a now retired Orr filed a lawsuit in a Tennessee court alleging that the Twohees never adopted him and instead created a conservatorship. Twoies, I don't care. Fuck them. <laughs> and instead created a conservatorship and used it to take his money, right? The Twohees or whatever the fuck deny doing this. It's they call also this claims- Leanne. I'm yeah, sorry, I think I, it's pronounced the, it's her. actually pronounced yeah. the peepees. Yeah. <laughs> I don't That's care. Yeah. The, the dick bags deny this. And again, I'm not being an, a non-biased journalist here, but no, fuck it. No, no. Yeah. Uh, Robert, it's actually Dickmans. It's Dickmans. Dickmans. The Dickmans. <laughs> yeah. They call his claims hateful and absurd. Michael okay. Lewis has defended the Twohees by saying that they only earned a few hundred thousand dollars off of the blind side, the book, and the movie that was made off of it. He's like, they didn't make millions. They only made a few hundred grand. Now, Lewis also does, and I'll give him this, he also admits right after saying that, that the Twohees' biological daughter is married to the son of the main investor in the film, which might suggest that the family made a lot more money (laughs) off of it, right? Oh! That might suggest that, because the blindside makes half a billion dollars on a $35 million budget. Um, in his what happens own way, to Michael Lewis in, in this kind Michael of Michael Lewis is super rich uh, they, and always they will really, be. They um, really, uh, there's been buried so, some leads. There's there. been so many articles about <laughs> yeah, this. Like it is. There's everywhere. some shady shit. That That's went the first down time I'm hearing about the, the daughter's daughter, marriage because I, yes. I I read a fair amount about that uh-huh. case. Fun stuff. So in wow. his own 2011 book, Ower, like expresses issues with the movie based off of Lewis's book. Primarily, there's this part where like the Twoies are teaching him how to play football. And he's like, I knew football before I met them. I'm a teenager in America. Like, like what are you fucking talking about? Um, there are oh. other problematic moments in the book. Uh, and this is from The Guardian again. Lewis calls Ower Big Mike throughout it, despite the fact that Ower is open about hating that nickname. He also tells this guy's story almost exclusively through the words of other people talking about him, even though he had access to Ower. Lewis justifies this by saying that Ower was not a strong voice on his life. Yeah, this guy's not good at talking about himself. I'm just going to listen to everyone else about him. Um, I'm, I'm it, out. I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I think out. what's really going on here is that Thor is a black kid from a desperate poverty background, right? And Lewis cannot identify or get inside of his head because that is nothing even that even resembles the Michael Lewis story. It feels like a very mm-hmm. privileged, dark take yes. on like, well, yes. who do I consider to be a credible voice? Can right. I get... 20 white people who barely mm-hmm. know this guy yeah, who just met this kid to profit off him to speak to him better than he can speak to his own life yeah. because that's who I trust is white people that's yeah oh that's so fucking yeah, gross so he doesn't try to get inside over his head and he just focuses most of the narrative on the Twoies who who Lewis understands this is the final shoe he understands them for a very good reason and I'm going to oh. quote from the LA Times here 
As I tore through the book, I kept wondering how Lewis got such remarkable access to the Twoeys. And I also wondered, why does he take such an uncritical view of their role? The author's note at the end provides the obvious explanation, stating that Lewis is a friend of Sean Twoeys and that they had been longtime classmates at the same New Orleans school. No. (laughs) How is it even ethical to take this fucking story on if you have... Uh, There's only like, one kind of ethics that I care about, Jamie, and it's dollar dollar fucking bills. Well, well, Jamie, oh, as yeah. as you know, things could be um, unethical but still be legal. Ha-ha. Legal. That's, That's the how way he lives his he life. Lives his life. <laughs> 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 to, I mean, truly, yeah. what a gift that we have so that funny. as that. Like I, I am he a force of evil in the world, certainly. Yeah. But I am grateful that he gave us that one thing, just the way yeah. of uh, describing juvenile lawless capitalists. Yeah, it's so funny. Yeah. Now, one thing I have started to notice watching some of the more recent and critical interviews with Lewis after the SBF book is that while he, he's generally a pretty friendly seeming guy, he starts to get really angry the instant you question him on anything regarding one of his stories. Um, and you see this in this story, in the Ower story, because Ower's former coach comes out and like defends the Twohees or whatever once the lawsuit goes out. He's like, you know, I don't think they took advantage of him, basically. And Ower calls it brave. In because my he's professional, like, unbiased not, opinion. Yeah, not Fuck Ower, you. No. Yeah. Lewis calls the coach brave for doing this and basically says he's taking a stand against cancel culture. And then <laughs> here's the Guardian again. Lewis recalled Ower as a shy young boy and found it hard to square that memory with the Ower behind the lawsuit. What we're watching is a change of behavior, he told me. This is what happens to football players who get hit in the head. They run into problems with violence and aggression. It wouldn't surprise him, Lewis said, if we were seeing some confluence of Ower's history in football with other campaigns that stoke claims in lawsuits like his. Perhaps some lawyer of Ower's figured the time was ripe to sue the Twohees, Lewis speculated. Or perhaps Ower realized that people would get behind him if he makes these accusations. He's That's, just a okay. poor head injured boy. <laughs> yeah. I they're like, no, the perceived exploitation and racism mm-hmm. you experienced was the result of CTE. That's yeah. Oh my god. Well, that's it's fucking disgusting. wild, right? That's gross as hell. Oh, now, I hate Jamie. Him. Wow. I just thought he was the guy who wrote Moneyball. I thought that that was the harm That is what I was him. thinking too. Now, yeah, wow. so here I want you to keep in mind how he wrote about his former subject, Ower. Now, here is him talking in a 60 Minutes interview about Sam Bankman-Fried, the now convicted former billionaire. And I just want to, I really want to emphasize the contrast between how he writes about these two different people who are subjects of his books. Mm -hmm. The story of Sam's life is people not understanding him, misreading him. He's so different. He's so unusual. I mean, I think in a funny way that the reason I have such a compelling story is I have a character that I do come to know and that the reader comes to know that the world still doesn't know. Now, that is not the case. Uh, Sam Bankman-Fried is exactly the person he appears to be on the surface, right? He is a guy who committed a bunch of financial crimes and didn't get away with it because he was too lazy and undisciplined to do it the smart way, right? And That's and all that, that's going I on. I mean, this is way. like, a, oh, yeah. this is a bummer. This is like a case study and yeah. a journalist biases coming out uh-huh. in their oh, work. Oh, it's, it's, so, it's so obvious. Yeah. Now, no story better illustrates 
this part of the story than how Lewis wound up writing Going Infinite in the first place. In 2014, Lewis published a book called Flash Boys, which is a book about Brad Katsuyama and a small group of rebel Wall Street investors who form IEX, which is like a stock exchange that's supposed to, the idea is we want to protect investors from the unfair advantages that these high frequency trading firms have on traditional exchanges due to like a whole bunch of shit, but largely access to a special fiber optic cable. And with most Lewis books, there's a lot of insiders that will criticize him for getting some details wrong here and glossing over some issues that don't conform to his narrative. There's like a market crash that's largely like mitigated by some of these firms that he's criticizing, but I don't know enough about that to want to get into it. What's important is that Katsuyama and his book of rogue traders are depicted semi-heroically, as if they're kind of fighting against this rigged financial system, which, Mm. you know, the financial system's rigged. I don't know about his character of them. But the book is a hit, and it makes Katsuyama and his crew celebrities within the finance world. So Katsuyama reaches out to Lewis when he is considering an institutional investment in FTX. He's like, we're Mm -hmm. considering getting into crypto through these guys, putting a lot of money on their exchange. Would you look into this guy for me? Right? Mm -hmm. And this is what Lewis says. Lewis like basically goes in there and like talks to Sam Bankman Freed and he's he's so impressed that he quotes himself as telling Katsuyama do whatever he wants to do what could possibly go wrong right that's <laughs> which bad bet uh, Katsuyama really, does wind up putting money in you could choose a yeah. worse person to yeah. <laughs> ask what could go uh, wrong with yeah okay yeah and I, I'm going to continue from the Guardian here. Okay. He did find himself intrigued in particular by effective altruism, the movement to which Bankman Freed subscribed. Effective altruists believe in giving away most of what they make to do the most good in the world. Some of them commit to earning as much as possible so as to donate more to their chosen beneficiaries. Having spent so long on Wall Street, Lewis wasn't used to meeting a wealthy young man who claimed to have no interest in wealth. Unusually for Lewis, he couldn't figure Bankman Freed out. Michael just said, this kid is the richest and most interesting young person I've ever met. He didn't claim to understand all the deep recesses of Bankman Freed's mind, but he knew it was a great story. And this was before the shit hit the fan. Uh, That's one of his friends talking. Yeah. And and also, it takes someone who grew up in that environment to not have alarm bells going off in their mind when they hear, oh, I, as someone who has never not had money, don't really care about money. You're like, well, yeah, no shit. You've never not had it. You would really care if you never. That that reminds me of, this is like, I I think about this easily once a week. It happened over 10 years ago. My freshman year of college, it was my first time really encountering people who like grew up with like money, Mm -hmm. you know, and there was this guy on my floor and one night everyone was hanging out and he like put a, this is the era. This is the early 2010s. He put a skinny scarf around my neck because it was cold. And he was like, you can have that. And it smelled and I didn't want it. But he's like, you can have that. And I was like, oh, don't you like want it back? And he's like, no, I don't care about my material possessions. <laughs> and great. I think about that all the time because he could just get 9,000 scarves. He yeah. could just get 9,000 scarves. But that was like, but I feel like that is so much of what effective altruism is. It's just a fundamental, like, yeah. not understanding how the world works. Yeah, it's it's a bunch of rich kids who are talking through like fucking philosophy 101 level shit and think and so impressed by everyone else's answers to like dumb logic puzzles because they've, right, they've never yeah. studied enough humanities to know that like, no, nah, man, people have been talking about this shit for thousands of years and all no, of their takes are better no. than yours. <laughs> like, anyway, we're not getting into that as much right now. We are about to get into the ads. And if you really want to do some effective oh. altruism... <laughs> 
purchase from the sponsors of this podcast. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild minigames. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Ah, so we've been talking around the book Going Infinite, which is Michael's terrible book on Sam. Um, so I think now is probably a good time to dig into exactly how it fails. I wanted to start by introducing that contrast between Lewis's treatment of Ower and SBF first, because it puts things okay. into perspective. Now, I think a good anecdote to start on here is one of the stories Lewis uses to introduce Sam to the reader. This is right at the start of Going Infinite, and it's about a phone call that Sam has during his billionaire era with fashion industry icon Anna Wintour before the Met Gala. No. Now, oh, yeah. Oh, good yeah, Jamie. Lord. This is this is good. So for I'm reference- exhausted. Because, because Anna Wintour is Bill Nighy's girlfriend right now, and I don't yeah. want to think poorly of Bill Nighy. That's no, hard no. for me. No, it is That's tragic. I, 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 My heart goes out to Bill Nighy, who I'm incapable of feeling badly about. No, I'm um, here. I'm sitting my ass down and listening. Yeah. So Anna is who Meryl Streep's character in The Devil Wears Prada is based on, right? Yeah. Like, that's who yeah. this person is. Oh, um, I love when men try to explain what The Devil Wears Prada is about. Yes, for yes. all the men listening, pause and go watch The Devil Wears Prada. It is just yeah. like one it's of the fun. greatest yeah. films of, I think, one and of the books. greatest comedy films mm -hmm. and, and books of um yeah, of it's our very generation. good. Very good uh, half, movie. Half I, the I essays I wrote, half the essays yeah. I wrote in college were based off of said book. 
Really? So, yeah. The the Met Gala is an annual event. I think Vogue puts it on technically, but like it's where rich, famous, and occasionally even beautiful people wear insane outfits that cost the GDP of a small island nation, right? Yes. And then and, uh, and then a bunch of YouTubers I watch say that they looked ugly. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's a treat. Yeah. It's it's great. It's great. Everybody makes a feast off of it. But somebody has to pay for the son of a bitch, right? And yeah. that year, Wintour wanted SBF to pay for the gala, right? And no. he was spending way more money on stupider shit than that. So not unreasonable that he might actually agree to do this. Um, he had instructed at this point his publicity woman to do whatever she could to increase FTX's reputation and keep his name in the news. So mm-hmm. not a bad way to do that, right? The, the Met Gala often does make the news. Um, and when it came yes. to his side of the job, though, Sam was, he put as much work into like this call with Anna Wintour where tens of millions of dollars are on the line that he did to like everything else that he had a meeting about, which is no work at all, right? (laughs) Lewis goes into detail about the fact that he's playing this dumb video game like while he's on a Zoom call with her. It's the same game he's always playing. It's this this video game that he winds up buying because it's made by a friend of his called Uh Storybook Brawl. Um, What is it about? Tell me. It's it's about like fable characters fighting, right? Like it's it's that it's a little strategy game. It's like an it's like an app game. It's not a real game. You You know know how you you know how you watch those videos, and I say this with Mm -hmm. with love and appreciation of uh, like college students now playing a video game while explaining like uh, Marxism to you. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I want that, but Sam Bankman-Fried playing that game while while Anna Wintour is like, "What is he up to? What is he up to?" The the Jamie and I in unison when you said playing video game while talking to Anna Wintour, yeah, mouth wide open, like, well, it's like she could, yeah. I mean, and 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 not even to like endorse her. I'm just like, I would be very afraid to do anything She's in front of scary. her. And it's, she's it's famously the, scary. She, she's famously. famously scary, and he's talking about a lot of money, right? Like it's it's not that he's blowing her off because like I don't feel precious about Anna Wintour's time, but like it's that this is a big money deal, and he just he can't focus on it. And I would take that as just like, oh yeah, this is a this is a dude who has some ADHD, right? Like that's what that is. Mm-hmm. And this is a dude who has ADHD who's part of a generation that has ADHD. Well, no, this is a very dumb observation, but it's also clear to me that Sam Bankman-Fried has never seen The Devil Wears Prada, which I've never been less surprised at. But it's like if you have no one in your life who could tip (laughs) you off that you're talking to the protagonist of The Devil Wears Prada, then you lack a support structure in a fundamental way, I think. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, 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 okay, that's good to know. That's what why I think Sophie is funny, and I are here, Robert. What's, what's funny about the way Lewis talks about this is that he marvels at this, right? Like, it's the most amazing thing, and it's evidence of how unique Sam is. When you just noted, one of the biggest pieces of entertainment for millennials and Gen Z is people playing video games and explaining politics, right? That yeah. is, it is not at all unique that Sam Bankman-Fried will not stop gaming to have a business meeting, but Michael Lewis treats it as like, this is evidence that he is too much of a genius. He can't bear to pay attention to her for a second. He also, there's a little bit of anti-woman stuff in here because Lewis notes yes, that- think. Oh, 
Sam would minimize the window with her face on it whenever she spoke and bring it back up whenever he talked, right? Curiously, only when he was talking did he want to see her, which I do think there's a lot in that sentence. Um, so, Exhausting. yeah. Yeah, it is, again, like the way Lewis describes this, this isn't just, yeah, he's not very disciplined and he has the same thing that like a lot of millennial and Gen Z people have, which is, you know, an inability to stop distracting yourself no matter what important shit you're doing. He describes this as SBF's brain being so big that like games are, he's like a Sherlock Holmes character and games are his heroine, right? Well, that like, makes me, that indicates to me that Michael Lewis, because that's the way that you're, like like your doting parent would talk about yes. you and yes. like that's that that is clear to me the way he sees him is like wow look at this amazing kid and also mm. what spf is doing here is like the inverse of what most easily distracted millennial and gen z people are doing which they're playing games and explaining radical politics to you they're not playing games and talking to some like like half listening to someone before they part with millions of dollars to throw the world's stupidest annual party yeah and I love that stupid ass party. It, it's it's I mean, I think both of those things are on a similar level, potentially, but it depends on sure. how you do them. And he's not actually good at it. But the way Lewis describes this is he he just is in awe of this kid's ability to have attention deficit disorder. Quote, yeah, absolutely, said Sam. But his mind was elsewhere. The horde dragon was dead. Anna Wintour had killed it. What to do? He made a half hearted bid to begin another game and pick another hero, but then changed his mind and shut the game down. He could often occupy two worlds at once and win in both. In this case, he clearly stood no chance of winning in one world unless he paid less attention in the other, and this woman somehow had acquired a spell that interfered with his abilities to multitask. <laughs> what an amazing way to write that paragraph, <laughs> Michael Lewis. Dude. Oh, God. Dude. It's, it's something else. Like, I have played video games through some important work meetings. Sophie has often had to pick my ass up off that. It's not because I'm a genius. It's because I'm hungover and have trouble focusing th- because I use Twitter too much. There's like- so many. There's, like, so many. I mean, whatever. And also, you have to imagine that this manuscript made it through a lot. It speaks to how old people mm-hmm. in general who work in the publishing industry are that yeah. no one was like, Michael, I wow. hate to tell you that this is just how kids are these days. He's a real video game genius. Yeah, there. I mean, it's like we've both written books. Like I, I was surprised that I got the title of my book through, but mm-hmm. it was because people over sixty don't know what raw dog means. No, and so you're, yeah, and that's yeah, most exactly. of the people in publishing. Like it's ridiculous. That's so yeah. nuts that that made it to the final book. No, it, it's it, like that's yeah. Um, so if you're not reading critically and inclined to give Lewis the bit of the benefit of the doubt, I can sure. see how you might as- assume that like he's he's trying to make Sam look kind of silly in that paragraph. I can see how you would assume that based on the text, but that is Ooh. not what's going on, <gasps> listener. Here is Lewis talking about that exact same moment in an interview with Intelligence Squared from about a month ago. Yay! So on the screen, Zoom, Anna Wintour. And he he does not know who she is. He doesn't know what the purpose of the meeting is. He doesn't know, well, the purpose of the meeting is can Sam Bankman-Fried pay for the whole Met Gala? That's the purpose of the meeting. Because he'll pay for everything else. Why not that? And she comes on the screen and she is dressed to the nine. She's got those sighs of hair coming down around her chin. She's like ready to kill. 
and, and gorgeous. You know, she looks great. She's well-prepared. He's playing storybook brawl, which is his video game. Pause. I hate the way he talks about Anna Wintour. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Wow. What is, yeah. Okay. Okay. We can, well, firstly, we can deal with that in private. So before we can no no before no. we can talk about a woman on a Zoom call, does she look gorgeous or does not? She, yeah, mm-hmm. that's the point. This has nothing to do with Anna Wintour. Also, she looks like that all the time. Thank you so much. It's okay. her. Th- it's her thing. <laughs> And whenever right. she comes on the screen, he blacks her out and the video game pops up. So like she's, she's talking and, and monster, minotaurs are killing, are killing dwarfs and, and, and trees with axes are coming in and like, you know, the, the, the weapons are appearing on the screen and people are dying and exploding and, and, and you're hearing her talk about the Met Gala. And, and there's seven minutes in when he hits a button and the Wikipedia entry for the Met Gala comes up so he can figure out what the hell she's talking about. And, and, and he's doing, I watched him do this. He's doing this with her. This is what he was doing on live television when he would be interviewed by Bloomberg TV. It was like, he, and he, he had tricks. It took him about one-tenth of his brain to have a conversation with, with Anna Wintour. And the, 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 what he would do, he, the, other, the other part of his brain was either reading about who she was or playing his game. And uh, what he'd do is he'd say, you ask me a question, he'd say, oh, that's a really good question. It's a really good question. Let me think about that for a minute. You know, meanwhile, the Minotaur is killing the tree. And, <laughs> and he comes off and then he thinks for a minute and he says some boilerplate thing. So... That does not show genius. He's he's obviously the smile on his face. That is not him being critical. That's him thinking about like, that's him fawning over this kid for for not being prepared for a multimillion dollar meeting, right? Which is like fine, but that's not an example of him being smart. (laughs) Well, and I, I think that that is a clear pattern in the way that we cover the like, young white kid genius who comes from a rich background. There's a lot of uh, similarities in how early Mark Zuckerberg's like casual misogyny and not giving a shit about people was like part and parcel to why he was cool and why he yeah. was seen as a visionary like that. The same is true. Like just, I yes. mean, you, I feel like it, every generation has at least one of these guys and they're all covered in the same way. No one ever learns their lesson because the guy covering them is often the same guy. It's Michael Lewis. Guy's dad. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. literally Michael Lewis. Yeah, and often yeah. literally Michael Lewis. How did, how did, okay, I'm sorry. How did this yeah. resolve with Anna Wintour? Did she, like oh, the fact he, that he, she didn't, he said, did he basically he says, yeah, I'll pay for it. And then he just ghosts her. Yeah, so the fact that Anna Wintour <laughs> didn't like, like smoke out that he was like fully uh, a fraud. The girlies are the girlies are disappointed. Uh, and she, I'm, not, I, I, I'm not caping for Anna Wintour here, but no, if San, famously if SP, named the Dragon Lady. Well, no, SPF is is lucky that he'll never encounter Bill Nye because Bill, yeah. for Bill Nye it would be on. Oh, site. Bill Nye would fuck him. <laughs> it up. would be on site. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> he was an I Frankenstein for crying. He was in Detective Pikachu. Robert, he was in a lot this of great episode films. has broken like my those. brain. So my brain these is are, broken. These are these are amusing anecdotes, right? What he's what he's telling. Oh, Potentially, God. if you are someone who is critical about him, that same anecdote could could form part of your thesis about why this kid got away with it and for right. so long and why he ultimately flamed out. But Lewis is convinced that these show you evidence of Sam's genius. And he sets this up early in the book, talking about Sam's childhood. Quote, he had a fault line inside him. Pressure was building on it. And one day in the seventh grade, he slipped. His mother returned from work to find Sam alone in despair. 
I came home and he was crying, recalled Barbara. He said, I'm so bored, I'm going to die. And like, no. yeah, I, I, I have had a similar conversation with my mom and it's a sign, you know, certainly Sam has been diagnosed with ADHD. That's certainly one way in which that can manifest. I'm sorry. But, I'm sorry. Hold on. One for the girlies again. That is a direct quote from Sex in the City. Oh, okay. That is a direct quote is from it? a Sex in the City episode. Sure. I'm sure Sam's a big Samantha head. Wait, who says it? The she goes, I'm so bored I could die. And she jumps out of, and she falls out of the window. <gasps> oh, my it, God. Yes, it's literally one of the most famous it's moments in, in the sex back half of Sex, sex in the, in the city. city. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember that. Anyway, so because like Lewis, again, okay. again, if you're if you're just kind of being honest about Sam writing a book, you might be like, well, Sam gets diagnosed with ADHD. This moment makes total sense as like, yeah, this is a kid who's got ADHD and he's also, you know, good at math and stuff. He's bored in the classes that he's in. But Lewis does not acknowledge that Sam has ADHD in his book. He doesn't say anything about it because that would okay. that's not a bad thing obviously, but no. it's also that you do, like you're not a genius just because you have ADHD, right? Plenty of people who are not super geniuses have ADHD. It's just a thing. And right. and, well, it, and it's like if you're if you're talking about that behavior and I and I want to be like delicate in the mm-hmm. way I talk about it, but it's like it's contextually important. Mhm. If you proceed from the principle like, yeah, this is a kid with ADHD, then there's another explanation for his addiction to games, his inability to focus on stuff, right? And it it and then it means those things aren't a sign of his brilliance, right? Um, now, part of why I'm critical of Michael for this is that he does make a note about one character's ADHD in the book. And it's Carolyn Ellison, who comes across no. as one of the villains in the book. And I should note that the following paragraph comes from a part of the book where Lewis is talking to George, who is a therapist who worked for FTX as the company shrink. So among other things, this is a therapist talking about his patient, right? Okay. When she'd first come to him back in 2018, she'd had two issues she wanted to talk about, her attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and her new and emotionally complicated polyamorous lifestyle. Every subsequent session after the first, Carolyn came back with just one issue she wanted to discuss, Sam. She'd fallen in love with Sam. Sam didn't love her back, and that fact alone left her deeply unhappy. I thought of her as an exception, said George. I thought she might be willing to trade effective altruism for reciprocation of love any day. Right? Sorry, how is it like, I mean, I truly, like, how is it even legal or ethical for this information to be I don't actually know. <laughs> I don't like, actually know, truly, Jamie. It's that like, does seem sketchy to me. Therapists are not supposed to be able to do, like, they're famously not supposed to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And also, not to, like, overly yeah. come to her defense, but also it's like, the uh, if anyone's uh, therapy logs were leaked, it would be like, oh, yeah. they had this fixation on this issue. Well, yeah, that's why you fucking go, dude. As- you don't go there to be a reasoned person. No, and especially since, like, What's what's messy to me is that he brings that he makes sure to bring this up with Carolyn because he's kind of writing that like she was unreliable, she wasn't focusing enough, she was in love with him. Um, she was being hysterical, perhaps. Where, whereas he's just this misunderstood genius, but he notes her ADHD and he doesn't note Sam's, even though Sam's ADHD is a matter of public fucking record now. Like his family went to court to get him his medicine. Well, it's like, and it's like not this is not a hidden he- thing. It's like not even yeah. something that he particularly tries to obscure, right? No, like, no. Yeah. And again, it's critical to understand him because it provides an alternate explanation for all this behavior that Lewis chalks up to him just like <laughs> only needing 10% of his brain to talk to people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, 
there's another like there's another very fun bit in this which kind of relates to that which is that and this is like the weirdest through line in going infinite which is michael lewis does not understand games right like he is so he writes about like video games and board games and other popular nerd pastimes that are now like the dominant form of entertainment by money in our country he talks about them like he's an alien who's just arrived on the planet um Mm -hmm. And he, and as a result, he talks about Sam's embrace of this stuff at the expense of everything else to be evidence of brilliance. Quote, he felt nothing in the presence of art. He found religion absurd. He thought both right-wing and left-wing political opinions kind of dumb, less a consequence of thought than of their holder's tribal identity. He and his family ignored the rituals that punctuated most people's existence. He didn't even celebrate his own birthday. What gave oh, pleasure man. and solace and a sense of belonging to others left Sam cold. When the Bankman Freeds traveled to Europe, Sam realized that he was just staring at a lot of old buildings for no particular reason. We did a few trips, he said. I basically hated it. To his unrelenting alienation there was only one exception games in sixth grade sam learned about a game called magic the gathering for the next four years it was the only activity that consumed him faster than he could consume it and (laughs) this is so funny because like lewis has to describe magic the gathering after this point and he like he describes it basically it's the first game ever made where like you like the way that you play it uh like it's it's different like every character can come into this strategy game with a different set of equipment no one had ever done this before it was all like chess where everyone's the same and it's like no it wasn't there were decades decades of war games and strategy games that is... that magic was influenced by like that's just wrong now, michael hold lewis on. now hold you on didn't nerd Google hold on magic nerd. yeah hold on nerd any any put a put a pin in that nerd. i i do think that like this is of the because because I, I don't play magic the gathering and i know that how he's describing it is wildly incorrect <laughs> so, i feel like it's so wrong yeah i think that speaks more to like a generation gap yeah. because i think Whoa, that yes. there's someone who could be on the opposite side of spf and equally with it like it's just like do your I, research just yeah, talk d- to an uh just talk to someone who plays magic the gathering they famously love to talk about it and, and it's it's funny because he's like he has to make this like he he goes in, on a limb about like sam bankman fried couldn't didn't like chess it was too boring there were too few oh. possibilities like you could calculate oh, every like God. his computer brain wasn't amused by chess oh yeah it's so funny it's like man my friends and i all played magic the gathering and like as a spoiler some people looked into sam's like performance in league of legends and the other online he was never good at anything he was not very good he wasn't particularly bad but he was not very good and i'm gonna guess he was indifferent at magic the gathering because it (laughs) you know like it's it is not a great it's a wonderful game not a great like yardstick for your intelligence you know it's it's just I mean, a card it's like, game. No one should be, uh, I mean, not, but like no one should be judged by their intelligence by how they interact with like a beloved hobby. That's yeah. weird. Yeah, it's so weird. And it's like, it's interesting because like it, Sam's parents, a big part of this section is like he comes home and he's like, I'm so bored. I can't, I want to die. And his, you know, his parents do what I think is the right thing. They lead the charge to get their school to add like an advanced math class. And it, it seems to have a good impact on him. He's excited to go to school now. And that's a good thing. But what we find hints of in parts of this story, and I don't think Lewis is able, either knows it or is able to admit it to himself, is the troubling fact that once Sam's parents decide he's a math genius, 
they they don't bother to make him into a well-rounded person. Sam grows up hating art. He thinks books are useless. He has this big rant he goes about like, well, there's no way that Shakespeare is the best author ever because there have been this many billion people born since he was alive. And if you want to calculate the odds that none of them were better at writing than him, then there's really no reason to read Shakespeare. And it's like, well, <sighs> Sam, the fact yeah. that you think that means that like no one even casually tried to teach you the humanities because like the reason you should study Shakespeare is not that he's the quote unquote best author ever. That doesn't exist. It's that there is not a day in your life or the life of anyone that you love that they don't use words and phrases Shakespeare introduced to the English language. That's why get, he's important. And don't get me like, wrong, Sam. I also don't want to read a book, but I there the, sometimes where. <laughs> Sometimes that's Sometimes. just what you need to do to understand the world and not go to prison for forever because you're a gambler. Or just be willing to fucking Google your way around it. Like, you're not better than Shakespeare, you fucking yeah. weirdo. There is, like, an element of, like, there are certain... Uh, the the lower side of SBF uh, L's mm -hmm. that he takes in the statements he makes... He sounds like a like a one episode Frasier character. Yes. You know, yes, he yes, sounds exactly. like Freddie made a friend and he fucking sucks. <laughs> yeah, and he's a SPF. piece of shit. Yeah. And, even, yeah. and then he even polarizes Frasier and Niles. And that's how you know you're in fucking trouble. Yeah. Yeah. When Niles, Niles is like, this kid's kind of got a fucking problem. This kid's incomprehensible. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't share a glass of brandy with him. Yeah. And man, if you know Niles, you know what that takes. Hey everyone, Robert here. Uh just wanted a quick uh note that the next like the last like five or six minutes of this episode is all Frasier. It's all 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 Frasier talk. Uh Jamie and I got off on a tangent. There is a lot more Sam Bankman Fried in part two. It's another like hour and twenty minutes, so Plenty more on Thursday, but as a heads up, in case it's kind of confusing, we just we just wound up in a Frasier hole after this point. So if you want to hear us talk about Frasier, this is your chance. Speaking of David Hyde Pierce, Jamie Loftus, <laughs> yes. you are starring in a floor show with David Hyde Pierce. I sure uh, am. Based on the life of Kelsey Grammer, actually. Uh, you are playing yeah. Kelsey. Um, you spent, yes. like Michael Lewis, a full year living with him to really get his character down. What was that like? Yeah. Uh, look, it was pretty hostile. It was pretty hostile. <laughs> and in the subsequent publishings that I've made, a lot of people have said that I couldn't explain the video games that Kelsey Grammer was playing for the year that I was following him around. Mm -hmm. And I, I resent that. Yeah. Uh, I was in the room with Kelsey while he was berating women on the phone. And I think that that's, that makes him a genius. I think that that makes him a genius. And, you know, I, do I believe he's the greatest sitcom actor of all time? Well, I'll keep that to myself. But wink, wink. Um, I think that he's kind of a beautiful genius and is above criticism. And if you don't think that he's kind of the perfect person, or if you even, like, just read, read his Wikipedia page and form an opinion... Uh, I beg to disagree. And uh, oh, man. <laughs> I do love, I love Kelsey Grammer stories from the height of Frasier because they're all oh, like members of the cast being like, 
Well, yeah, he was very like he came on set and he had clearly just woken up <laughs> after vomiting up his seven martini lunch. He looked like he was dying. We were all worried that he was going to drop dead that day. And then the director called action and he was immediately in character. He was, and did the whole, he was perfect. <laughs> he was beautiful. His chest hair perked. Yeah. Like, we'll never, we'll never know. Mm-hmm. I, I was I mean, I was fixated on Frasier reruns when I was a kid. I would stay uh-huh. up late to oh, watch yeah. them. Yeah, it's one of my comfort and shows for sure. Yeah. The the best. And like when I I remember getting Kelsey Grammer's like memoir from the library and read that he broke up with his wife on the phone and it may have been one of the first times that I was like, wow. Wow. Men are scary. <laughs> <Yes>. Like <laughs> you could you, you uh. can just do that. You could just be Kelsey Grammer and be evil and then and, mm-hmm. and I will still like base my sexuality on you forever sure, absolutely seem fair whom's among us right um oh man but i i will say having watched the new fraser show it becomes oh, very same. clear how much of that show's charm was john mahoney and david hyde pierce <laughs> like, oh well i i i think tell kelsey's doing i mean and he's an evil person he's doing his damn best he he is he is perfect he is like literally his voice has not changed in 20 years which is remarkable no and and he's been you know physically preserved well enough yes yeah one of the big problems that show has is they've cast that kid as niles and daphne's son and they're relying on him to hold up a lot of the physical comedy and that david hyde pierce used to and if if you are going up next to david hyde pierce in like a physical comedy competition you're gonna look like shit fucking luck my he's david hyde pierce he's the guy (laughs) robert i thought you would love the fraser reboot because it's some of the most abysmal boston accents i've ever heard in my fucking (laughs) life don't get me wrong i've watched every episode some of the nastiest (laughs) little i have to like pause sometimes and like get a glass of water yeah i have to like walk off nearly that accents Yeah. yeah, I mean, you have, I, and, and, I, and I have conceded long ago that mm-hmm. you've got it down. Thank you, thank you. Well, <laughs> anything to plug, Jamie, after our five-minute Frasier digression? Yeah. Well, I'd like to, bl- uh, I guess I'd like to plug the Frasier reboot because I would like a second season. Yeah. Check uh, it out, and- everybody. It's not <laughs> shit. <laughs> it's on Paramount Plus. Uh, uh, and uh, I I also just uh, read, read Raw Dog uh, mm-hmm. and uh, follow me online if you're so inclined. And that's uh, that's all I have to say. Listen to the Bechtel cast while you're at it. Why not? Yeah. All right. What uh, about you? Uh, that's it. Uh, I'm right. done. Um, you're go done. find find figure out where David Hyde Pierce lives. You know, don't send do him that. A Bye. Send him a nice letter. I wonder if I can walk there. Bye. Yeah, you might Bye. be able to. Let, let Jamie know. Behind the Bastards is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. 
from herbology to naturopathy and health coaching. Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.